Hello, friends. I want to tell you about Diaspora Co., the company that is building a better spice trade. If you don't know Diaspora Co., let me tell you all about it. You want to know how are they building a better spice trade? Well, first and foremost, they're paying farmers four times the commodity price and three times the fair trade price. And these are not just transactional relationships. These are long-term relationships that they've been building year after year after year that touches over 200 regenerative farms and most importantly, 1,500 farm workers. These are actually some of the very best spices that you can buy on the market. The freshness and potency are unmatched. So if you're thinking right now about how you've had the same dusty spices in your cabinet for two years, head to diasporaco.com and bring home a world of flavor. Free shipping on orders of $70 or more. Welcome to the Stephen Satterfield Show, part of Whetstone Radio Collective. Hey, hey, this is Steven Satterfield. Welcome to the very first episode of my show. If you don't already know me, I am host of High on the Hog on Netflix and the founder of Whetstone Media, Whetstone Radio Collective, and Hone Talent, the newly formed culinary talent agency, all of which are dedicated to food origins and food culture. Because food, food origins, food culture has been my life's work. And with this show, I wanted to create a space where we could talk about some of these ideas with some of the best people that I know suited to have these conversations, people who are doing essential work in the food space. So on this show, you will hear from field experts, you'll hear from artists, creatives, farmers, activists, chefs, and you'll hear from my friends because these are my people who are making waves in our industry. We'll be talking about upcoming cookbooks, articles, and stories that made us think. We will be talking about the things that make us feel awe and inspiration and just more human. And to kick off my new show, I could not think of a better person to join me than my very good friend, Sana Javeri Kadri, founder of Diaspora Co., a direct trade spice company working towards a radically more equitable and sustainable supply chain. Sana was born and raised in Mumbai, India. She's been working in the food industry since she was a teenager in many different ways, from photography to even working on a farm. She founded Diaspora in 2017, the same year Whetstone Magazine first came into the world and has grown that company into a globally acclaimed spice brand that champions more than 150, 150 regenerative family farms and 1,200 farm workers with the aim of creating a new standard for what equity and culture looks like in our global food system. She has certainly done that. Sana was also the most fitting guest for this episode because she was the first guest that we had on the Point of Origin podcast back in 2019, which was the precursor not only to this show, but to our podcast network, Whetstone Radio Collective. Let's have a listen to Sana back then. Make sure that you know the origins. Like, mm-hmm. as long as they're saying 
This is not something that Gwyneth Paltrow invented, but rather something that comes from Ayurvedic tradition. Are you suggesting that Gwyneth Paltrow did not invent turmeric right now? <gasps> I can't believe I said that out loud. And in that episode, which we called The Tale of Two Yogurts, we talked about Sunna's background, inspiration, and the journey to creating Diaspora Co. And I kept asking people, I mean, I wasn't seeing very much of that. I wasn't seeing like transparent ethical stuff that was able to be a regular good and not a luxury good. Mm -hmm. And I was more just curious. I was like, is that possible? Can somebody do that? And I kept asking them like, okay, so rice. Okay, so spices. Okay, so lentils. Like everything I knew that came from India. I was like, where are you getting it from? How much do you pay them? How, how like, When did it get here? And nobody had answers for me. They would all kind of just look at me sheepishly and, and be like, it's made in India. We don't know. It must be great. It sounds like that's what led you to start Diaspora. I think so. No, I, I definitely think so. And so today's episode is a follow-up to that conversation from 2019. And we talk about what it's been like to own and operate a successful business, which she has, and the challenges and demands of creating a social media persona that underlies that successful business and feelings of tokenism in the rise of celebrity food culture. It's all here on the Steven Satterfield Show, episode number one, with my homegirl, Sana Javeri Kadri. I want to welcome you, Sana. And it's only right that you're the first guest because you were the very first guest the last time I did a podcast, Point of Origin. So here we go again. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And even when we're at our most professional, the like older brother vibes just like, tumble right out of you, even when you're describing me. And I love it. (laughs) I can't help it. I'm so proud. Okay. So let's, let's first of all, because this is the format of what we're going to do. We're going to have our little icebreaker Mm -hmm. by sharing a drink. So you want to go first or I'm happy to go? I can go first. I think mine is less fun than yours, but so I'll go first. And then you, you, you know, tell us about what you're thinking. Um, sure. Okay, so I'm drinking Haldi Dude, and Haldi Dude was a drink that I grew up drinking. It's it's what the white people call the turmeric latte, and I grew up hating it. I would actually pour it out into the plants or into the toilet when my grandma wasn't looking because it was disgusting. Wow. It was just milk and turmeric, but it's really good for you. So five years later, the the story with Diaspora was that we wanted to make a version of Haldi Dude, which is good for you, but that actually tasted good, and I I. There's a video on the TikToks about my nani actually trying my version of Haldi Dude and really liking it. So it felt like a very full circle diaspora moment. And I store it in my masala dabba. That's what I'm drinking right now. And it has a shot of espresso in it, which is not traditional, but it's been that kind of day. So it's Haldi Dude with espresso. Haldi Dude with espresso, as only Sana could do. That looks beautiful. And cheers to you. And is the espresso, like, how often do you... I guess, bolster with an espresso. Mm. Um, rarely. It was just happening okay. today in the kitchen already when I walked by and I was like, it was, it was either that or rum. And it was a little early on the West coast for rum. Um, mm. so we went to espresso round. I love it. Well, that's a beautiful segue because I'm on the East coast and it's right on time here. 
I'm drinking rum. This is 10 to 1 rum, which I posted about on IG um, a couple weeks ago. It's a blend from, I believe, from Trinidad. And the brother who started this company, and it is indeed a brother. So this is like very diaspora vibes, very wet sound vibes. I love this because, you know, so much of the work that we do is really defined by and I think inspired by origin and reclamation. And I feel very much a part of a larger movement of entrepreneurs of a certain age, you know, that that is calling back to heritage with the spirit of reclamation and enterprise. So the brother Mark is definitely on that. I have here a daiquiri, which has a glorious little sugared rim. And yeah, it tastes delicious. Yum. What mm. do you sweeten it with though? I like to use just sugar, like the regular, mm. not the like super fine Dixie mm-hmm. stuff, but mm-hmm. the, um, what do you call the like granulated sugar? The granulated um, stuff? The big sugar. The big sugar. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind I, mean, of sugar I, I was asking just because I've been thinking so much about you know pre-colonial sweeteners and whether it's something it's something that I can just avoid. Like, can I just avoid not for like the silly wellnessy reasons, but just for the politics? Like, can I avoid white sugar entirely? Yeah, and it's it's been kind of hard. Um, it's really hard. It's really hard, and like I feel like. I'm just going to say for something like a daiquiri or a margarita, Mm -hmm. I don't really like it with agave or Or alternative sweetness, you know? I'm like, actually, you know, the sugar just hits. I do find the like really refined sugar to Mm -hmm. always give off a sweetness that is like too much. It's too close to syrup, but Mm -hmm. I like to basically half my amount of simple syrup as a as a compromise. So basically I'll do like two ounces of rum, mm-hmm. a half ounce of lime juice, and then like maybe not even a quarter of simple. Okay. That's allowed. Staggering. Staggering. All right. So Sonny, where are you? I'm in Port Townsend, Washington. We're already I, I live between Mumbai, where we have our headquarters and where half of our team is, and then the Bay Area, where I have lived for the past decade, and where the other half of our team is. And I've now added a third place to my rotation. Um, and it's mostly in search of peace and quiet and a, a more gentle life. I feel that. I feel you on the peace and quiet, because when we last spoke... And I, I didn't actually go back. I debated if I should go back and listen, but I was mm-hmm. like, no, I want to keep it. I want to keep it fresh. But I do remember that when we last spoke, one of the things that we were reflecting on is how our journey started really at similar times, entrepreneurially speaking. Diaspora and Whetstone were both born the same year. 2016, Oakland Library. Yeah. Our Oakland Church and basement. So something like that. A church basement, yes, because prayers were needed. And yeah, like fast forward later, we're like seven years or so down the road. You raised a bunch of money. Your team Mm -hmm. and your business has grown presumably like year over year. You 
seem to be on your way to dominating and reclaiming the spice industry as mm-hmm. you and God intended. Do I have that correct? <laughs> I think you have that generally correct. There are bumps along the way. Mostly. Yeah. But, but the vision is clear. The ambition is there. Yeah. It's unclear how many years are there. We're, we're getting there and the receipts are there. Yeah. Yeah. Enemies have been made. So, like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's talk about, I just want to talk to you about your journey. You know, I think on the media side for me, I feel like the world and our world has changed so much in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And I wonder just like how you feel, you know, as the keeper of the vision, um, with the, the degrees of success that you've experienced. Yeah. The way the marketplace has changed, COVID, all of these things. Like what are the biggest differences with where you are now than when you got going? Yeah. I, I was trying to think before we got on this of like, what has been the journey. And I think we can bookmark it with our conversations. So I think there was the conversation for the point of origin podcast that you and I had one of the early interviews I ever did. And it was really setting the stage for like, what is diaspora going to be? What is Whetstone growing into? Then mid pandemic, you and I talked at a Moad talk. And it was for me that talk and what I took away from it was how the world at that point, it felt like was finally listening to us. And we were like, yeah, you're finally giving us an audience. Okay. And I think maybe especially for you as a black man. And I, but, but of course we were, we were misled. And I feel like for me now in 2023, and I don't want to speak for you, but it's like this sobering year of we were made the tokens. And I think again, you in a much more public way than me, but still, like we were made the tokens. We were like, oh, celebrity is what it takes to like do this thing and like make our dreams come true. Okay. Okay. Like let's, let's go be celebrities. Um, but then largely realize that that's bullshit and that doesn't set you up to actually do the work. Like that just yeah. sets you up to be a pawn of a system that has existed for a long time. And now, now we're thinking through how do we focus on the work? How do we not get distracted? And, and, what does our leadership look like when we're trying to create these inclusive, in a way, anti-capitalist companies that are using all the same tools, though, as capitalism? That's that's like my arc of, of where we are and where we've come. Would you agree? Is that? I'm just fascinated to hear you talk about it, you know, because as is often the case, I feel there are so few people that I can really relate to on the journey, you know, who really like know me, who, who saw me come up and who also have been made to whatever degree public as a means of furthering the the things we believe in, including our own businesses. It's funny to think about having to have a public presence in order to both get the work done and also check a box for the people who are just going to sprinkle a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there, because I feel the ways that it, it has... I guess I, I feel the differences in our situation or that like I got thrust into this really public place as a means of talking about the same stuff I've been talking about. Yeah. And that seemed like that's the cost of doing business. And then when the show came out, I was like, uh, I'm actually kind of stressed that there's so many people here, <laughs> you know, like 
it just, I wasn't ready for it, actually. It was just jarring. Yeah. I've always felt, and this could be actually just like our, our age difference, you know, you're more native with being online in a way of connecting, like being visible to mm-hmm. getting the work done. And I always kind of like marvel at how you have been able to share so much of your life and mm-hmm. also get the work done and not kind of like lose the plot. Because for me, I'm not naturally inclined to like want to share necessarily. Share. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. How does that sit with you? No, you're right. And I mean, I think, you know, I made an Instagram when I was 17 years old and had first come to the US. I'm now 29. Yeah. I've been on Instagram for 12 years of my life. So I was basically raised on that app. Um, yeah. I made friends on there. I learned how to write on there. I literally graduated college on there. So like, yeah, was the early round of millennials who grew up on there. And I think for me, it's it's always personally, I think diaspora aside, the point of being public on the internet has been feeling like the internet made me feel less alone. I felt like as a queer brown immigrant in the US with a unique experience with some privileges and some not, there wasn't place. And somehow like this corner of Instagram gave me place. And I think at 29, I'm now having to sit with how much do I want to share? How much do I not? How much of my identity relates to the internet versus not? Who am I outside of that? And those are not questions I really have the answer to. Like, because, you know, a, a side effect of that is my default, even when I'm alone, is that I'm performing. Instagram is performance 24-7 to the point where I often don't know what not performing means. My therapist doesn't know either. Um, so I think, you know, that that's the personal piece of it. But I think when it comes to how I show up publicly for the company, I think that's been hard. It, it's been easy to get distracted and it's been easy to say, oh, I should do like a paid influencer post because those pay really well. And I should like post about my outfits because my outfits are so cute. But then I have to like maintain focus on what is the work? Like, what did we set out Diaspora to do? The the large goal was obviously disrupt the spice trade and make it more equitable, more delicious, more rooted in culture. But the tangible goal is how do we get our farmers paid? Very simple. And so if every single way that we're not showing up on the internet doesn't like directly relate to getting our farmers paid, I'm losing focus and I'm not actually doing my job. And I think it's actually taken the past couple of years of getting people around me who can hold me accountable and say, actually, that cute thing that you're going to LA to do, that's a waste of our time. No, thank you, Sana. And that was hard, right? Because as founders and as like these like creative visionary types, you hate being told what you should and shouldn't do. That's why I started this. I hate being told what to do. But now what I need is accountability and, and focus. So yeah, there, there's like, on one hand, trying to define who I am as an individual human who feels very deeply and who grew up on the internet. And then how to reconcile that with needing my and the company's social presence get farmers paid. Yeah. That's not, yeah. There's a lot of friction That's, there. I basically feel like that was the hardest lesson of 2022 for me. Mm-hmm. is that I really felt growing Whetstone meant I'm going to have more resources to do things the way I always wanted to. And really, it means you are bringing in not only 
accountability partners, but, you know, actual partners, equity partners, Mm -hmm. stakeholders in your business to be like, yo, stakeholders means like we have a stake in this. And um, I did resist that for a while as a natural, (laughs) as my natural way of being. And it really took, you know, a lot of trust building on all sides because I do recognize, you know, that my privilege came later by way of this television show. And so I am a non-traditional, even among the non-traditionals. But I actually appreciated being humbled in that way last year. And it, it has impacted, you know, my way of thinking as an entrepreneur. I got like a bunch of mommies and daddies now. <laughs> who I, I mean, to me. what I've been trying to think through about this, this public journey, and I think it's sort of what you've gone through as well, is the easiest result of white supremacy, patriarchy, all of it, capitalism is tokenism right? We, we felt that we did that. And what I've so often seen from my peers, and I think in my case, it's specifically women entrepreneurs. There's this meteoric celebrity rise, raise venture capital money, cover of magazine, like all these things, um, grow the business super fast. Wow. What a business leader. This woman is usually like all of 27. I'm, I'm thinking of like the OAs, the glossy years, a lot of those like big brands. I think There's a lot of cautionary tales there. And then there's the fall. And there's, it's always a public cancel culture fall. Mm -hmm. They were doing it wrong all along. And I I feel like I've like retroed the hell out of all of those stories and been like, what went wrong here? What did they do wrong? And I think Mm -hmm. what I always identify is three things. One, they took money too quickly from people who are way hungrier than them, venture capital and private equity. And it was, you know, suddenly it becomes either a race to a hundred million or a race to a billion, which is sort of a, mm-hmm. an atrocious amount of money. Literally. Then. Yeah. And I think they're, you know, having to say, nope, we are not entering that race. That's just not mm-hmm. going to happen. The point is sustainability and farmer equity. This race to 100 million is a made up number that does not serve me. Mm-hmm. Like that's mistake number one. And then I think mistake number two is getting wrapped up in like the media celebrity of like, you're the founder. You thought of this. You're a genius. Wow. And it's like my 23 year old ass had one half decent idea. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we've been working hard on it, but I've had a lot of bad ideas since there's, there's not genius there. Right. And like we get overly wrapped up in that. When in reality, I feel like what's made at least diaspora for me over the past few years is one, our community and two, our team. I'm just the show pony that we trot out. Um, good one. But it would again be like feeding to media's hand to fall for like the celebrity martyr genius trope that is tokenism. That's like mistake number two. And then I think number three is not handing over the reins to a really accomplished team fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's because you get high and, or at least my, I've noticed this in myself and seen this in peers, like we get high on the ego trip of I'm the genius. Mm-hmm. And then we don't trust our team. We don't trust our employees. We say, you know, you have to do it my way. You're getting it wrong instead of investing. And in, I think the hardest thing, which maybe doesn't even exist yet, which is leadership and management culture. That's not tech based. That's not, you know, rooted in 
white male management logic. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually don't, I was trying to define this. If this is for us, it's like a, a management culture and a leadership culture for our team and for our employees that's rooted in queerness and equity in our femininity, because we're mostly, you know, a feminine non-binary team. And there's no handbook for that. There's no like managerial guide we can read for that. You know, it's against professionalism because a lot of professionalism is rooted in white supremacy culture. And I think that's mistake number three is not identifying that quickly that we're, we're having to build the manual as we drive the car. Right. So those are my three. And I feel like that's what I'm like putting all my eggs into is these three hypotheses. Yeah, I mean, whew, that's a lot of heat. I mean, that's just giving me a lot to think about. You know, I feel that God has a lot to think about. So as far as I feel handing over the reins to the team, I was able to do that because the same thing, like the team built me. We're doing editorial work. Like I'm not even really writing or, you know, doing anything. I'm just like, the hype machine, let's go. And so I felt like y'all got it, you know, like y'all got it. But really because, you know, Whetstone, I, I think, I, I don't know if this is a redundant story, but, you know, it really came from NOPA. It came from my time at, you know, as a sommelier at this restaurant in San Francisco when Tumblr was a thing and all that, you know? And so like, I'm like looking at this decade long odyssey, you know, as this art project that started when I was managing restaurants in San Francisco. Like I've been five different people or lived rather five different lives. I mean, the same person, but you know what I mean? Like, and I feel that this has been, I've been so fortunate on this journey that my way of engaging with, with our team and community has just been wanting to almost overcorrect and disappear behind them, you Mm. know, like rather than own your leadership a little bit. Exactly. And so to, I believe in my case, you know, the detriment of our gang, because I was just like, I've been so lucky. Literally. I can't believe this shit happened. Like y'all gotta like, like, let me just start passing this shit up. Yeah. And there has to be some level of you still holding on. Yeah. And that's hard. And so, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear a lot of that. And I think that, I think really for me, the ego was in thinking that I really had it like that, you know, when it's like, nah, bro, you got to go out there and defend your right to tell these stories. You know, there's no, like, I appreciate to how you're building publicly, even with the amount of pressure that you feel. Mm-hmm. has actually also made me feel less alone, you know, over these years. But I think what I want to tell people that I, about something about you that I really appreciate is the friendship accountability. I knew you were going to go there and I was like, happened. don't go there, don't go there. <laughs> you know it. You know it. That transcends the work or our businesses because at the end of the day, it's so, so easy to just get swept up into all of the things. Mm-hmm. But we 
really are all we got. And like, as soon as you lose that, you truly have missed the fucking plot, like completely. And I know that I am very guilty of just burrowing into my own world and drama. And I'm so grateful that like, you know, all the other stuff is, is great and nice for me and for, you know, many others who have shared how you've inspired them and others who you've inspired who will never share that with you. Right. There's, there's many. That is completely different to me than like how to show up for your friends and your people. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say, like, I've really, I've struggled with that. It was exacerbated during the pandemic. It was really exacerbated just like in this weird event happening for me in the middle of this larger, you know, other global event. And so I feel I'm just now starting to come out of those cobwebs. Like there was almost a cocooning, a, a sudden cocooning that you had to do post that. Like yeah. Totally. Teeter your way out off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate you holding me down. I mean, I was, I was trying to describe our relationship to somebody um, recently. And I think what I, what I ended up landing on was that I think we decided early on that we needed each other, even if it was like a once a year way to need each other, you know, neither of us is is the type to like call regularly or text regularly, but we knew that we were going to need the support however nebulous it was. And so even when our journeys have been like parallel, but not touching. And there are times when I think you and I will get dinner and we'll be in, sometimes we'll be in like the same place and it'll be this like meeting of minds like, Oh my God, thank God you exist. But sometimes it'll be actually we're at a crossroads against each other. And we still have to hold on to each other during that time because we agreed that like we got each other's back. And, you know, in a lot of ways we treat each other as siblings. And I think that that's, that's been a good lesson that, there will be times that we will be at places in our lives that are literally opposing each other where your hurt hurts me, my hurt hurts you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's because we're doing work that's really hard. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. All right. The last portion of the show. I want to ask you about the best thing you've had to eat or drink this week? Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to give not that exciting of an answer, but it, but it was really good. So, I mean, my introduction to America was via college in, in California and then working in the food industry, which, you know, was often like California cuisine, which was therefore very white and very um, proper a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I never experienced like some pretty basic American things like s'mores, and so oh, nice. uh, like like very, the very the real basics. We're not even talking culture here. We're not talking like spices, none of that. But yesterday, I uh, cooked hot dogs over the fire for the first time in my life. Hot dogs in what? Like over the fire, like over a bonfire. Oh, over the fire. Yeah, like for the first time in my life. Um, and I was so wow. judgmental before this. This whole process, I was like. Like I work in the food industry. I run a spice company bringing the best flavors to the world. And you're making me roast a hot dog. Um, But it was delicious. 
I was really into it. I did I did make my own ketchup. It was like a diaspora spiced ketchup that was very delicious. And Brooklyn Dare oh, Deli's like curry mustards. You know, there there was like certain elements, but I was still morally superior going into the process of making this hot dog and like roasting it and so full of myself. And then it tasted wow. damn good. So yeah, pro hot dog. Okay, well, I love a first. So let me say that I'm happy for your successes and having um, that experience. I will maintain my sense of elitism when it comes to hot dogs. I would expect nothing less. You know, something about the notion of the hot dog. And when I say something, I think I know what the thing is actually. <laughs> infected my mind at a young age. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about that thing forever actually so i don't eat hot dogs however that okay, being are we talking said, about like animal rights are we talking about the the phallic symbols i'm just um, talking about like it's such an amalgamation right mm -hmm. you know i'm the it's origin forge you know what i'm saying i need citation <laughs> <laughs> the hot dog is antithetical is, yeah yeah. To origin foraging. That is many different points of origin converging. And in in pink slime form. I'm good. I wanna see. Okay, there there's a bone. I have a sense of what part of the animal this came from. <laughs> so yeah, but I hear you on that. <laughs> the best thing that I had this week, let me think. Okay, so right now I'm in North Carolina and I've been enjoying some trout. I don't know if you know this, but North Carolina trout is like a thing. Mm -hmm. I really love smoked fish, like a lot. And so I don't know the brand, sorry, no disrespect to the people, but some people outside of Asheville, North Carolina, the trout people, trout? Yo, I've been throwing down. They have trouts that are like heavily peppered on the outside. They have some that are just like the traditional smokes. So what I like to do is take some crackers, like some really fire crackers, chef cheese, something like that, mm -hmm. olive oil, and then put a little slice of the smoked trout with some lemon and sea salt. Yo, I've been crushing that all week like brain food. Intermittently adding a green sauce that just mm. has a mix herbs like parsley and cilantro Yum. that could be going bad. So that's what I've been eating and yeah, loving that. That sounds delicious and um, definitely better than my hot dog, but. No, no, cause you, did you, you got the skin, you got the skin like black and blistered, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like, I, I'm not mad at that for anyone else. <laughs> that's just, I can't get out of my own way when it comes to the hot dog. I think okay. it's fair. I mean, I think I I just needed a moment of like stepping out of constantly being like, I eat in accordance with my values and you should too. I think it was a moment of Sana, participate in the thing that this community does and it'll taste just fine. Yeah, no, I feel that. You got to dip your toe in those waters. You want to be able to at least have a firsthand opinion about a hot dog. So, yeah, the only hot dog I knew before was like the steamed New York ones that just feel like a germ no. bath. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. And the s'mores? How, how, how are those? I don't like sweet things, so that was a failed attempt. Oh. 
I, I had never like blistered a marshmallow and done that whole thing before. So like the texture was nice, but I don't like sweet. So I had a bite yeah. and handed it over. I was not into it. I would have, I think if it was like a more savory, crunchy cracker rather than a graham cracker, which is already sweet. And then a really dark, like, yeah, like almost a 90 to hundred percent bar that was pre-melted a little bit onto the graham cracker. Ooh. Yeah. And then the sweet marshmallow with a little bit of yeah. sea salt, I could have played, but this was none of those things. All right. Well, I mean, maybe that could be something in the diaspora future. I could see that in like a little diaspora pack. Like, we soft s'mores, 90% bitter chocolate. <laughs> um, You're done. <laughs> okay, Sana. You, this has been super fun. You are a great friend. You're a great first guest to launch any podcast. And I am going to wrap by giving you a chance to shout out anything that you're working on that you want to gas up or talk about. I mean, you can find me on the same Instagram I've been on since age 17 at Sana Javeri Kadri. Um, but then you can find Diaspora Spices, much more importantly, um, at www.diasporaco.com or at Diasporaco on the gram. And thank you. It was so good to see you. So good to see you. And keep it real. You can find Diasporaco Spices everywhere. That, that's and true, if you too. Can, and and, and, and if Whole Foods want to stalk us, they, you know, you should let them know. Oh. PSA. Let's get the signatures going right now. Sonny, it's been a pleasure. I hope I get to see you soon in Washington or California or New York or India. I will be coming for you somewhere. See you soon. Bye. Thank you to executive producer Celine Glacier, sound engineer Max Kolachek, editor Ilgen Kordogan, and associate producer Quentin LeBeau, Special thank you to music composer Catherine Yang for all of the music that you heard on this episode and Alexandra Bowman for the outstanding cover art. You can follow us and learn more about Whetstone Media at our website, whetstonemedia.com or on Instagram and YouTube at Whetstone Media. We'll be back next week.